Our Bible reading today is from Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 56. You can find that on page 1009 of the Church Bibles. That's Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 56. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars, because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried those who were ill on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed those who were ill in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Thank you. Well, it's helpful to have that bit of the Bible open in front of you. That's the bit of God's Word we're going to be looking at together now. I'm going to pray and ask for God's help. Our loving Father God, we thank you so much for this great day. You have been so good to us in so many ways. And so we pray now that you would help us as we read your word, that you would help us to see Jesus for who he is and to not just understand it, but to respond in faith. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is quite a big difference between what and why. Uh, my granny used to say, he who knows what will always have a job. He who knows why will always be his boss. She had various other funny sayings about crosswords and things like that. But anyway, that was, that, that was one of them. It is one thing to know what happened, and it's quite another thing to understand why. So take Lucy's baptism this morning. If all you had was what, well then I pushed a girl underwater and everybody seemed to be quite pleased about it. That doesn't tell you very much. In fact, it gives you quite the wrong impression, doesn't it? You need to know why. You need to know it's a declaration of faith in Jesus. It's a picture of being washed. It's a picture of dying, rising again. Without the why, the what of baptism is just very, very weird, isn't it? And the same is true of the bit of the Bible we're looking at this morning. Most people know the what of Mark 6, Jesus walked on the water. It's a very famous story, but why? Why did he do that? I think that's often missed. So today I want to start with the what. I want us to look at the Bible and see what happened. But then we're going to do the why as well. Why did Jesus walk on the water? Because if we understand that, that really could change our lives so let's begin with what happened. Jesus walked on water. 
Jesus walked on water. So Jesus and his disciples had arrived at the place where they were by boat. We looked at that last week, if you were here for that, how they'd arrived there by boat on the shore and found a huge crowd of people waiting for them, and that Jesus had taught this crowd all day until it was past dinner time, and then he miraculously fed that crowd of 5,000 with hardly any food at all. Now that has just happened, and our story starts immediately after. You see, that's the first verse, the first word in verse 45, immediately after that. Now, Jesus' disciples were desperate for some time off. If you remember that earlier? They, the reason they'd gone over to the other side was to have a break, and they'd never got it. But in, in verse 45, you see Jesus sending them away. He's like, right, you, you guys go. I'll clear up here. I'll sort everything else out here. You guys head over to somewhere else. And so off the disciples go in their boats on their own while Jesus sorts everything out and then heads up the hillside to pray. Now when the disciples are separated from Jesus, things very rarely go well. Jesus is up there on the mountain praying, but his disciples are now really struggling out on the lake. So you see verse 47. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake. Now, something's already gone wrong at this point. Here we go. Here's a little uh, satellite picture of uh, just the, the top bit of Lake Galilee. Now, we don't know for sure. I think the most likely place for the feeding of the 5,000 is over here, if you can, you can see that. Over here. Uh, I think it makes sense. It's a desolate place, like the Bible says. There's a flat area of grass. There are uh, hills as well there. Jesus could have prayed. So I think that makes, makes sense for where he, where he was. And he's sending them off to Bethsaida, up here. So that should be a little sort of cut off the corner, quicker than walking, <laughs> get in the boat and just, just go up to Bethsaida there and, and I'll meet you later. But we know from the end of the story, in verse 53, that they didn't end up in Bethsaida. They ended up in Gennesaret, which is all the way over here. <laughs> so for them to be in the middle of the lake, there's already... A major problem has, has happened here. They have gone way off course already. And that makes it really clear when you read verse 48. When Jesus is up on that hillside and he looks out and he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So what they wanted to do was put the sails up and then just whiz along. But they can't do that. So they're having to row. But they can't even do that either because of the way the wind is going. There are strong winds that suddenly come up on Galilee, there's, there's a sort of strong east wind that comes up known as the shark, apparently. There aren't any actual sharks in Galilee. I think there's a few people going for a trip to Israel. There aren't any actual sharks in Galilee. It's okay. But the name of this strong wind gives you a bit of a clue. It can be like, you know, like you're in Jaws or something. You're going to end up drowned with a smashed up boat. So one day they are straining at the oars. This is really hard work. And it says it was shortly before dawn that they're still at it. So this is sort of between three and six in the morning. And they set off just after dinner. So they've been out there for hours. And they are nowhere near where they want to be. But it's then, right then, at the darkest time, at their lowest point, that Jesus comes to them. See, in the middle of verse 48... Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. Jesus walked on water. I think we're so used to hearing that, that it doesn't sink in. 
bit like Jesus, I suppose, didn't sink in. I should know I wasn't supposed to be a part of it. There you go. It, it, is, it, it just sort of goes over us like water off a duck's back, water off Jesus' shoes. It just sort of, we just hear it and go, well, of course he did. I, I know that story. But actually think about that. When Lucy and I got into the baptistry, you will have noticed neither of us glided along the surface. We stepped into the water, not onto the water. There's a reason I should actually put this rope back across because it's not very safe, sorry. It's not very safe because you're not supposed to go in it. You can't go on it. You will go in it and a child would go in it. And yet here we see Jesus walking on the water, on the top of it. Now over the years people have tried to explain it away. Oh, he was just walking along the shore. Uh, They were in the middle of the lake. Oh, it must have just been a shallow bit that he walked across. Well, number one, there aren't shallow bits in Galilee. Number two, if there were, why haven't the disciples got out and pushed? Number three, why would these professional fishermen who worked on that lake be so freaked out when they saw him walking towards him? As they, they see this person walking on top of the waves. Verse 49 says, when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. They they think they're seeing things. They can't get their head around what on earth is going on here. Because their friend, Jesus, who they know well, is walking towards them on top of the water, in the middle of the lake, in the middle of a storm. What is going on? Jesus walked on the water. He reassures them. He gets in. The storm calms down and they get to the other side. It is remarkable, isn't it? Boats don't normally pick up hitchhikers. But they end up with this unexpected passenger joining them halfway across. And they're able to do that because Jesus walked on water. So that is the what. That is what happened. We know what happened. But why? Why did it happen? It's one of the only miracles Jesus does where nobody really seems to benefit from it. That he walked on top of the water. Why did he need to do that? Is it just sort of a party trick he could do? Why did he do that? Well, it's because Jesus is God. Walking on the water proves That Jesus is God. That's the message we're meant to take from this. That's the message the disciples are meant to pick up from it too. Well, where do I get that from? Well, firstly, only God can walk on water. There's a few places in the Old Testament where that's said. Psalm 77, Isaiah 43. The clearest one is Job chapter 9. Don't worry about turning it up. But Job chapter 9. In Job, Job is talking about how different God is from us. And how frustrating that is. That he's so different from us. It says this in verse 8, He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. When he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. So we'll get how the not recognizing him bit is fulfilled a bit later. But do you see how he says, He alone can do this. Only God can tread on the waves. And the rest of Job chapter 9 is him complaining, if only God was a man, and then we could talk it out. I could speak to him and deal with him, and we could 
deal with all my problems and we could deal with my sin and we can deal with all this stuff. If only God was a, a person who I could talk to. Well, here we have in Mark 6, Jesus walks on the water as an answer to Job. God is a man. Jesus is God. So he's come so that we can know him. He's come and done this amazing thing only God can do so that we will know him. That is an amazing why, isn't it? Why would he walk on the water? To show that he's God come to us. There's another hint about Jesus being God that comes at the end of verse 48. It says, Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. That's a bit strange, isn't it? That he was about to pass by them. That he sees them struggling out on the water. He walks all the way out and he was just going to ignore them. I'll see you over the other side. See you later. Just keep walking. Well, that's not what's happening here. No, to pass by is something God does in the Bible to show his glory. So Exodus chapter 33, we're looking at this on a Sunday morning, sorry, on a Sunday evening in a few weeks' time. Uh, Moses was in a really difficult spot, again, and a bit like Job was, and he cries out to God, I just want to see you. Show me yourself. You ever wanted to ask that? God, let me see you. I want to know you. Well, let's read God's answer. I'll put it up on the screen. If you can read that tiny writing. It says, And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. It's the same phrase. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, there it is again, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. And then in the next chapter of Exodus, when it happens, it uses that same word to describe it, passing by. If only it was safe to meet God. Wouldn't it be great if God himself would show up in a knowable way? We fast forward a few hundred years, we've got the prophet Elijah, who's so depressed that he wants to die. He asks God to kill him. Then he goes up the exact same mountain Moses went up. And we read this in 1 Kings 19. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then God showed himself. Can we see this pattern that when God's people are really in distress, God reveals himself to them in an especially glorious way. And he does it by passing by. Passing by is what God does to show himself. So when Mark tells us that Jesus was planning to pass by them, he wasn't avoiding them. It's the absolute opposite of that. He was deliberately, self-consciously revealing himself as God. That is why he walked on the water. And if that's not enough, just listen to what Jesus says in verse 50. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. It is I, translated literally, is I am. 
That is the name God revealed to Moses. Or it's the word Yahweh or the Lord. All those verses we were looking at. The Lord. That's I am. And Jesus comes out and says, don't be afraid. I am. It is me. It's not just your friend Jesus, but God. Come in a way that we can know. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And so this story begs the question, do you know him? If this whole thing is about revealing Jesus, about who he is, do you know him? Can you see who he is? That he's the one that we all want. He is the one that Job and Moses and Elijah were just begging for, for God to reveal himself to us. Do you know him? Can you see it? Incredibly, his disciples didn't. They were there. They saw the whole thing, but they couldn't see it. They could see the what. Jesus walked on water. That's quite strange. But they totally missed the why of it. So I see in verse 51, then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down, which is quite an amazing thing to suddenly slip in there as a throwaway line. The storm just suddenly stops as soon as he gets in. The shark becomes a little friendly goldfish. Anyway, that's just a throwaway line. This isn't Jesus calms the storm, even though he does. We, we keep on meaning. He gets in, the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. So we see here that they are amazed but not in a good way. They're amazed, not in a kind of, that's amazing and wonderful and great, and I understand. No, they're amazed in the sense of being completely flummoxed by the whole thing. They're astounded, they're gobsmacked, they're, they're clueless. And they don't understand it because they hadn't understood about the loaves, meaning the feeding of the 5,000 that we've just had. So you see, they don't understand this miracle because they hadn't understood that miracle. In the Old Testament, God fed his people in the desert with bread from heaven. Coincidentally, that's the passage we're looking at this evening in our Exodus series. Manna in the desert, bread in the wilderness. And then along comes Jesus. He goes to what verse 32 calls a solitary place. Verse 35 calls a remote place. Both of those mean wilderness. He goes to the wilderness. There's a massive load of hungry people. And he feeds them with bread out of nowhere. And he's inviting us to make that connection. That he is the God of the Exodus. He is the God who makes a way through the sea. He is the God who wants to reveal himself. The disciples, however, had missed the point of the loaves. And so they'd missed the point of this. They're still treating each miracle independently as an amazing one-off. So they, they understood the loaves as in, well, I saw there were literally five of them and somehow we've got leftovers. They, they got that, but they didn't see where it was pointing. They couldn't see how each of these miracles together is building a case for Jesus' identity as God. They can just see the what. They can't see the why. They, they just go, wow, he can feed people. Wow, he can heal people. Wow, he can walk on water. They don't think, wow, those things together show he must 
be God. He does things only God can do. He says things only God would say. He deliberately repeats major Bible stories with himself in the place of God. But they're not connecting the dots. Can we see him? Do we know him? Sometimes Christians can get frustrated, well, frustrated with the disciples. You sort of read it and you're like, what is going on? Why can't they see? Or we might even get frustrated with other people around us who've heard the same things we have and they don't seem to see it. But this passage shows us why, doesn't it? It's not because we're stupid it's, and it's not because it isn't obvious either. It's a heart problem. We're told that the disciples didn't understand because their hearts were hardened. Kind of in one last reference back to Exodus, they're like Pharaoh in the story who refused to let the people go because his heart was hard. Not because he didn't understand, but because he didn't want to. Very often people refuse to recognize Jesus. Because if he's God, well then things are going to have to change. I'm not going to be in charge anymore. Jesus is in charge. If he's God, well then I need to start taking him seriously. I need to put him at the center of things, not me. Things are going to need to change. I'm going to need to repent. I'm going to turn around and say, I'm not living for myself anymore. He's God. I need to live for him. I shouldn't be trusting in myself anymore. I shouldn't be trusting in this. I need to trust in him. And so we say, well, it can't mean that then. <laughs> it must just mean he, he does magic tricks. If we saw Jesus walking on the water, if he showed up now in person and jumped up and down and ran around in circles on the surface of the water over there, we might be amazed, but we wouldn't believe in him unless God was at work softening our hearts. Jesus wants us to know him. This is what this is all about. He's going out of his way to show himself. So can you see it? Perhaps you're here today and you've never really looked into the evidence for Jesus, perhaps not as an adult anyway or, or not recently. Please come and find out more. Come and We'd love to give you a Bible. We'd love to talk with you. Find out more because Jesus wants us to know him. He wants us to put two and two together and understand who he is. And more than that, to, to trust him, to actually live in light of who he is, to come to that point that Lucy's come to, and many of us here as well have come to, of actually seeing who he is and so saying sorry for the way we've treated him before, putting our trust in him as our Lord and our Saviour. Perhaps you are starting to get it today, perhaps in a way that you never have before. Put your trust in him. Come to know him as your God and your Saviour. For most of us here, though, we are believers in Jesus. We already know him. But Jesus wants us to know him better. He wants us to know him more. From the earliest days, this story has been just such a massive comfort to God's people in distress. When we're going through hard times. I think the main thing that's happening here is it's saying Jesus is God. But it does also have something to say about when we're going through the storms of life, if you like. When his disciples were struggling and straining, Jesus saw it. 
when they were alone, miles away from anybody to help them, Jesus came to them. When they were terrified, Jesus spoke comfort to them. And most wonderfully of all, when, when everything was at its worst and at its darkest, Jesus revealed his glory. See, when we are going through a storm, what is it we need? We need all kinds of things. We're tired, we're scared, we're freaking out. But Jesus sees what we really, really need. Remember, his plan was to pass by them like the Lord did for Moses. He saw them in that trouble and says, I know what they really need. They need a greater glimpse of my glory. They need to understand who I am a bit more. More than they need the circumstance to change, more than they need anything else, they need their vision of Jesus to grow. They need to know him better. They need to see him for who he really is. And it is the same for us, that when we're at our wit's end, that's what we need. We need Jesus. We need to see more of him. It might look as though he's passing us by, but really he is passing by us so that we can see his glory, so that we can know him better. This is such an encouraging story for us to say that actually we don't need to fear whatever the wind is blowing and the waves are going and the night is getting dark. Jesus is with us as God to say, take comfort, do not be afraid. So we know the what. Jesus walked on water. It's an amazing thing. But have we understood the why? That he is God. And we can know him.